Feel like giving up, throwing in the towel? Pastor Ed Taylor shares this biblical encouragement. And let me just say this. To those of you that are weary of working, to those of you that are weary of and tired of toiling over the situation and mentally going through so much in your mind and you're ready to quit, the Bible declares to you today, it's just six feet, that's it, it's just six feet. You're, you're going to quit and it's just six feet away. And all these fish, as we learn in a moment, 153 of them were all just six feet away at the obedience to the word of Jesus Christ. The reality is that God is using this situation so that you might hear his voice and obey his word. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. As we go through our Christian life, the temptation will arise to abandon God's calling and purpose. Perhaps we reach a place of discouragement or are running on empty. It may look appealing, but as we'll see today on Abounding Grace, it leads to emptiness. Be encouraged instead to listen to the Lord and obey Him. We're in John 21, and the disciples are about to go fishing and then have breakfast with Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with his message, Empty Nets, Empty Ness. As I mentioned earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, Jesus speaking, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Peter's leading, whether he wants to or not, and they go off fishing. And then it says, I have it highlighted in my Bible, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood, verse 4, on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now this is a sweet little time with Jesus. He's about 100 yards away, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. As a matter of fact, those of you going on the tour with us, this is one of our stops. One of our stops on the Sea of Galilee is an area along the sea that is traditionally known as the area where this took place. And we don't know for sure, but the geography of the area seems to fit the narrative. And what we do is we get up super early in the morning, earlier than any other day. And it's a hard day if you're doing that, but it's worth it because we get up super early in the morning. We drive down to the site. We get there before anybody else shows up so that it's quiet and there's no other people around. We do a quick little, we do a few little songs singing under the shade of a tree, and then we release you to do devotions along the Sea of Galilee, whether you put your feet in the water or you sit on a rock or you listen. And it's one of the, it's one of my favorite spots. This is the place in this time where it's quiet enough and it's calm enough so that Jesus is able to speak out a, a whole football field away and say, hey, do you have any food? Which is another way of saying, did you catch anything? They've been fishing all night. And Jesus comes to them. They don't know who he is yet because of the, perhaps the distance or the morning. And he asks them, do you have any food? You've got to laugh at this question because we know what's happening here. 
We already have been told that they didn't catch anything, which for any fisherman is going to discourage them. But they've been fishing all night. These are professional fishermen. I wonder if they started thinking, have we lost our touch? They've been fishing all night and caught another huge net, a net that could hold hundreds of fishes. And how many did they catch? Not even a little guppy. I don't know if there are guppies in the Sea of Galilee, but whatever. Not even a little baby fish. Not nothing. Nothing. Empty, empty, empty. So get the picture. They go back. I'm going back to my old life. I don't need this. I'm not going to follow anymore. I'm going to go fishing. Let's do it. Everybody's following. All these fishermen, professional fishermen, they make, their, they make their living on this. You know, you think of that show, Deadliest Catch. These guys are, man, they're tough. They know how to get things done. They know how to navigate. They know if they're not fishing here, they're going to go here, and they're not going to here. And all night, they toil and labor, and they come up with nothing. And what does Jesus tell them? Hey, did you guys catch anything? Now, this question wasn't for the knowledge of Jesus. He knows. This is, a mo- this is a pattern that God uses throughout the Bible, you know, coming to those that he loves and asking a question that he already knows the answer, but he wants you to answer. You, you say, Ed, where does that happen? Well, consider, consider the life of Adam right in the Garden of Eden. Adam commits a heinous sin that we're all still paying for ourselves to this day. And he and his wife commit this sin, and they understand their eyes are open. Now they understand, man, we're in big trouble. And what do they do? They cover up. They try to cover their nakedness up, and they try to hide in the garden. And what does God say? Adam, where are you? As if they're playing hide-and-seek, and God doesn't know. Of course he knows. He was asking the question so Adam would admit where he's at. It would come out of his lips. I think of Elijah, what we're studying on our midweek Bible study right now, going from the heights of victory at Mount Carmel, and then he's threatened by Jezebel, uh, King Ahab's wife. He's, I'm going to kill you, just like you killed those prophets. And that just sunk him, and he got discouraged, and he ran away, and he's hiding in the caves. And that's the place, you'll recall, you Bible students, where there was an earthquake, and there was a mighty wind, and there was a fire. But the Bible says God wasn't in any of that. And then it was a still, small voice. And what did that still, small voice say? Elijah, what are you doing here? It wasn't God finding out, why are you? He, he was saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asked him twice, before and after. What are you doing here? Jesus, he asked the, the disciples here, Peter and the, those that went with him, do you guys, did you catch anything? Was it, is it worth it? Are you finding satisfaction in this decision? What's amazing is the instruction that he's given. They don't know it's Jesus. And in verse 6 it says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast. And they caught so much that they weren't able to draw it all in. Now, I thought about this. You know, the typical boat of that day was about six to eight feet wide. Not much. And, and so here's, here's what's happening here. I, I don't know how it all went down. I think it had to be something miraculous that was holding that fish six feet from the net. The, the net was on this side, and then, you know, I've got big feet, so here's six feet. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So from here oh, to here. <laughs> so about this far. <laughs> this far. This far. They were fishing all night, and the fish were just on the other side of the boat. All night. 
So wherever they went, the fish just stayed over here. I don't know if they were looking, ha, 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 you can't catch me, can't catch me. And then they're scrambling for some reason, for some reason. And I tend to think, the Bible doesn't give us much on this, but I tend to think they were going both sides of the, of the boat the whole night and just catching nothing. So that by the time Jesus comes here and says, well, why don't you try the other side? It's almost like they're like, what? I've tried the other side a thousand times, but we don't get any of that. But that's often the answer we get in counsel. You know, that's the attitude that comes up when you're in deep distress. And a pastor or a friend says, you know, why don't you try this? And your attitude is, I've already tried that. I'm, I'm done. I'm divorcing them. I'm done. So why don't you try this? No, no, I'm done. I'm out of here. You don't understand. This is how he's never going to change. Or the fisherman, no, she'll, she'll never, we'll never catch her. Never, never catch, never. It won't cast on their side. You're crazy. We've been here all night. How long, how much longer do you want me to wait? How much longer do you want me to, to submit? How much longer do you want, how much longer? Listen, Jesus just comes and says, look, it's right there. Just cast your net. Just, just do what I say, Jesus says. For them, it was cast their net on the other side. And when they do, the nets are full. The nets are full. And let me just say this. To those of you that are weary of working, to those of you that are weary of, and tired of toiling over the situation and mentally going through so much in your mind and you're ready to quit, the Bible declares to you today, it's just six feet, that's it. It's just six feet. You're, you're going to quit and it's just six feet away. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be solved just six feet away, just six steps. I mean, six steps is not very far. It's the distance from here to here. That's it. For me, it's just a few steps. It's just a few steps. But you've been toiling all night, and you've been weary of the work. And all these fish, as we learn in a moment, 153 of them were all just six feet away at the obedience to the word of Jesus Christ. Because while your situation has encompassed your mind and the situation has blinded your eyes, the reality of the situation isn't actually the situation at all. The reality is that God is using this situation so that you might hear his voice and obey his word in relationship. Think about this for a second. Think about the toil and the weariness that is made. The situation was hard enough. But then you working and trying and striving has made it worse, has it? Not better. And yet at the word of Jesus Christ, they caught just six feet away. Guys, your breakthrough is just that close. A boat length away. You may, that, you may be that close to seeing the glory of the Lord in your marriage, the glory of the Lord with your kids, that, that great thing to happen in life that you've been praying for. It's not time to quit. It's time to cast your net on the other side. Don't throw in the towel so soon. Hang in there. Listen to the Lord and obey him. Listen as he says, cast your nets on the other side. Stop toiling along in your own strength. Stop trying to get all the advice that you possibly can collect so you think you can. No, turn your heart toward God and trust him like you did when you were first a believer. 
when you had no advice, when you didn't know anything in the Bible, when you didn't have any church attendance behind you, when you served no one. You know, God loved you then, and He loves you now. And there's no need to toil all night with empty nets. Listen to the voice of God and obey Him to get through one more day cast on the other side. Notice verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it and plunged into the sea. I don't get Peter very much. I mean, I love the brother, but I don't get it. Usually when you jump into the sea, you're going to take off a garment. You're not going to put one on. But Peter, you know, he's so caught up in the, in the situation. He's so caught up in the faithfulness of the Lord. It's the Lord meeting me on the, on the sea, in the midst of my toil, in the midst of my weariness, in the midst of my brokenness. He met me with my empty net. I thought I was a good fisherman. I'm not a good fisherman after all. I'm nothing apart from him. It's the Lord. He puts his clothes on and jumps right in. Man, Peter gets a bad rap. Everybody gets a bad rap. But I'll tell you what, if your story was in the Bible, we'd give you a bad rap too. And mine. Like none of us are perfect. You know, we got to be careful putting people down or, you know, I, I think we can laugh in the reality of Peter because we, when we laugh at Peter, we see, we laugh at ourselves. I see Peter, I see so much of Peter in me. And so we got to be careful because, you know, we look at Peter and go, what are you doing, man? Well, he's just doing what he's always done. He, he is not thinking about himself when he sees Jesus. He just says, I'm getting out there. I got to go. I got to take off. Jesus has met me right in the midst of my toil. It says the other disciples, verse 8, came in the little boat, for they had not been far from land, about 200 cubits, which is about a football field, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is how the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is so encouraging to me because as we end this section, this, at verse 14, we have Jesus still serving. It, didn't, it wasn't just a one-time thing uh, when he girded himself and washed their feet. Like, this was everything to him. But even then, even then, this is an amazing thought to me. And we don't have time to develop it. But maybe you could pray about it this week for your own life. While they're out in the sea, catching nothing, and Jesus gives them a command, sometime during that time, what is Jesus doing? He's already got fish. And he's cooking it up for them and some bread. He's already got fish. He doesn't need their 153. He's already got some. And this is what it tells me, that even if they were disobedient to him and blew him off and said, you're crazy, man. We're not fishing anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. We've been here all night. Forget you. And they didn't recognize it was him until they got there. They came back with empty. Even if they came back with empty nets, The graciousness of Jesus, he already had things prepared for them. Isn't that what the psalmist said? You prepare a table before my enemies. You prepare a table for me before my enemy. Jesus is already serving them. 
He's already got things ready for them. It reminds me not only of the grace of God, but it also reminds me that God, like I'm not irreplaceable in the kingdom of God. I'm not indispensable. God doesn't need me in order to accomplish his purposes on the earth today. Graciously, he's invited me to exercise the very gifts that he's given me, but he doesn't need me. And if what's true for me is true for you, God doesn't need you and all of your resources, and all of your money, and all of your smarts. and all, He doesn't need us. But in his grace, he invites us to participate in what he's doing. Bring your fish here. And so Peter's dragging this 153 large fish. He's dragging it up. But by the time they get there, he's already cooking for them, taking care of them. He's got fish ready for them. I mean, in reality, we already know that Jesus could have taken the little fish and things that he was making for them and multiplied it. He didn't need 153 fish from them. But even though he didn't need it, he wanted and invited. Just like he wants us and invites us. I know it gets tiring and I know it gets hard. Life does. The cares and concerns of life weigh heavy upon us. But when Jesus says, bring the fish that he helped you to catch, and he invites you in verse 12, come and eat breakfast with me. Come and eat breakfast. And Jesus, it says, verse 13, came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. I love it. God's grace. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our talents. He doesn't need our wit. He doesn't need us to get that promotion. He doesn't need us to move. He doesn't need any of that. But he wants us. It's much greater the need he wants. He wants to use us. He wants these things to develop a relationship with him so that we come to the end of ourselves and at the end of ourselves is always a fresh revelation of the fullness of our relationship with God. It's at the end of ourselves that we learn. Would you turn over to Psalm 91 as I think the Lord gave it to us during that song earlier today, but can I show you Psalm 91 real quick here? Because I did what I asked you guys to do. I took, it, I took my Bible during communion and I just read the psalm again. So let's all stand together and let's read this psalm together like we do at the beginning. I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses and Tyra is going to come up and read the even-numbered verses. Psalm 91, I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses. You're going to read the even-numbered verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckle. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So here's the rest, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. 
because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, that is our prayer from the psalmist's lips to our lips as we think about your faithfulness in our lives today and how it's amazing to think that you don't need us, but you want us. And I pray for those that are on the edge today that looking at the second chance, it was the second chance, cast the net on the other side. Just do it. Do what seems impossible or improbable. Do it against all of what you have felt and seen. Do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And I pray that over our church family today and those listening in on the internet and listening on radio and watching this or podcasting it at some other time. God, would you enable us to do what's right no matter what we see or what we feel. No matter how much we've toiled all night and we've tried everything, Lord. We've tried everything. And your word to us is, well, cast your net on the other side. Well, I've already done that. No, cast your net on the other side. Thank you for the example of obedience that an empty net, an emptiness became full with your faithfulness. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon your church today. May we leave here encouraged and uplifted, God. May we have strength for today and hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And Ed, I think many of us can relate to what Peter and the disciples were feeling at this point, wanting to give up and go back to their old life. When discouragement in the ministry starts to set in, what do we need to remember at such times? Well, you know, Larry, first of all, thank you for being patient with me. I have been sick for a few days, quite a few days, and I'm just coming out of it. I probably sound worse than I am, but God is faithful. And I think even in these low points, you know, when you get sick too, that kind of is a a low point. It starts to affect your feelings. And you're kind of looking at Peter in this context where it's a significant low point in his life and in their life. And in low points, we have to be very careful. Uh, I don't remember where I picked this up, but I made it my own. and And it's this, we don't make big decisions on bad days. And this is a big decision, and it's been a series of bad days, and you just want to go back to something comfortable, something that's relatable. You had high hopes going forward, and it didn't materialize, so now you're going to go backward. But the real answer is to not do anything but to wait and rest in the Lord until it passes. And I know it's a natural response to want to go backwards, but how important it is to stop and wait and rest in the Lord, and just know that the wave of discouragement's going to pass. And, and I know that some of you are like, but Ed, like I've been discouraged for a long time. And Ed would say to you, I know, I can relate. So have I. But God is faithful, and He is greater than our feelings, and He's greater than our emotions. And as we learn to trust in Him, He gets us through things day by day. Truly, You know, that's how he gets through us, uh, all of them, big or small. 
day by day abiding in him. So turn to him today, friend. Be encouraged in him. And even though you might be in a discouraging situation, God is faithful. And again, remember this, write it down. And maybe you need to call a friend or text a friend or reach out to someone today and say, don't make a big decision on a bad day. I'm here for you. Thanks for those words of encouragement. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Erwin Lutzer's excellent book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, When Your Decision to Change is Not Enough. This is a must-read for anyone who struggles with getting rid of a nasty habit. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. Well, we've got one more lesson to go in our study of John, and we'll share that with you tomorrow and Friday on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.